Thank you for listening to the Faith Bible Church podcast. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit us at faithbiblemd.org. I wonder if anybody knows who we're on this week. I'll read the list. Hebrews 11.32, and what more shall I say? Time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, also of David. Ah, we're on David this week. Okay. One summer, my in-laws, mother-in-law over here. Oh, love an in-law story, huh? Decided to take the kids to the Outer Banks, Snag's Head or someplace down that way, for a week's vacation. Eliana and I didn't go uh, for the whole week, but we decided Friday after work, you know, we'll go down. We'll hang out for the evening, spend the night, and go to the beach the next day, and then drive back sometime on the Saturday uh, with the kids. So Friday, uh, the drive down, it took like four hours. Uh, Eliana and I both like road trip, so that was fine. Saturday, we got up and had breakfast, and we went to the beach, and we weren't in any rush to get back, because after all, it's only a four-hour drive, and we got all day to get home. So on the route down, we took what is the scribbly blue line uh, down from Woodbridge, where she lives, and we come down through Norfolk and more inland, crossed over in that area. I don't know where we were that year. You probably don't know. We've been all over that OBX area. So that was no problem, had a good time. But then, uh, I don't know, it's like getting about 6, 7 o'clock uh, Saturday, and we said, you know, we better get out, we better pack everybody up and head up the road. And then we decided last minute, hey, uh, instead of going back inland, why don't we do the nice scenic drive along the uh, ocean, you know, all up along here. And then, you know, and we're looking at the at the thing, and there's like, oh, there's a, there's a ferry. And Eliana's like, oh, I love ferries, so we can take the ferry. I mean, so picturesque, and I'm like, yeah, why not? Well, I'll tell you why not. <laughs> this route, the traffic drives about 45 miles an hour. It's all vacations, and everyone's just poking along. There's a wait time for the ferry. We had to stop to eat. We got the kids in the back now. So all that four-hour trip turned into an eight-hour slow ride from hell. Kids were tired and cranky, and we never, since we never driven this road before, we didn't know this to be the case, but this was before smartphones and GPS, and we're just looking at a paper map going, oh, it looks about the same. Yeah, so it should be about the same amount of time. Well, about two hours into this sidetrack route, we realized this is taking way longer than we guesstimated, but we're too far into it to go back now, and we just had to live with the decision and ride it out. Well, by the time we get to Virginia Beach, it's about 1 a.m. We still had two hours left, and my, my, my eyes are now really heavy and really need a hotel room. But this is back when I was in seminaries, and we got no money, and we couldn't afford it. So it's only two hours, only two hours. But my point is, is I can't keep my eyes open for two more minutes. What do you do to stay awake? Roll down the window, uh-huh, turn up the music, pull out some nose hairs, uh, gets the eyes watering. That Try it, try it. Works for a little bit. Eliana uh, is always like, hey, I'll ask Rob questions and then we'll have conversations. And uh, that doesn't always help either because sometimes that just flares up and now you're tired and fighting as you're driving four more outs. 
Finally, I threw in the towel. We pulled over at a rest stop, and I just closed my eyes, and uh, I think I slept for about an hour. Enough to take the edge of the exhaustion, and then we got home at like, I don't know, five in the morning. What was supposed to be a nice overnight stay turned into an exhausting two-night stay. We got off track, making the trip way harder than it needed to be. But you know the end of the story, because we're still alive, right? So obviously, we made it home safe and sound. No worse for the wear. Eliana still loves fairies. Me, not so much. Sometimes in life, we make decisions that take us on long, unexpected, unintended detours. Often on these detours, we find ourselves in the midst of the dark night of the soul. You're exhausted. And it seems like you're never going to get back on track. You're never going to make it home. That sounds like your life. You're in good company because it's also the life of David. So if you listen carefully today, I think you will be encouraged to learn, even if you feel off track, there's a way to get back on and you can make it home safe and sound. So David, also known as Shepherd Boy David, poet, author, singer, songwriter David, giant killer David, King David. 15 chapters in the book of 1 Samuel involve David. All of 2 Samuel is primarily about the reign of David. The first two chapters of the book of 1 Kings are the final words of David to Solomon and the death of David. David wrote 75 psalms. Today, typically, an album contains nine songs. So, right? For an album. So, David wrote eight albums. Best selling fiction novel of all times. Do you know what it is? Best selling fiction novel of all times? Lord of the Rings sold 155 million copies. That's um, the fourth place of all time books. Third place is the Quran. Quran has sold 800 million copies. Quotations of Mao Zedong is the second highest selling book of all times, 1.1 billion. But the Bible sits at number one with over 5 billion copies sold. Number one best selling of all time. 11% of the Bible is either about David or David wrote it. So the math illustrates to us that David is probably one of the most well-known people and most read authors of all times. David's kingdom and his rule foreshadows the kingdom of God that is to come. God made an unconditional covenant with David, swore to David that God would uphold this covenant whether, regardless of what David does or does not do. We'll talk a little bit more of that later. David experienced some of the greatest triumphs in battle and then endured some of the hardest defeats. He was successful in leading the nation of Israel in its greatest era of military conquest. In later years, the people turned against him, and they handed his throne over to his son in a seditious rebellion. This is the greatest act of disloyalty, if you think about it. It's orchestrated by your own son, a coup against you, only that to result in the death of Absalom, his son, and David gets the throne back. But, you know, you lost your son in the process. So that was very hard. His highs and lows were tremendous. I think his most famous act is probably what we learned when we were children. Killing of Goliath, right? That's my favorite story. And he's a superhero almost in that story. His most infamous act is probably 
sleeping with Bathsheba, getting her pregnant, having her husband killed so he could marry her. So my point is, is David's a very large topic. Hebrews chapter 11 says, time would fail me to tell. Well, that is certainly true of David. So much we should cover. How can we handle it all? Well, uh, we do want to finish this series through the book of Hebrews, so we can't do the entire life and times. Uh, we're just going to do one snippet in this sermon. But uh, the book of Acts, uh, Apostle Paul uh, speaks of God's feelings about David. And this is quite a statement. After removing Saul, he made David king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. So the reoccurring issue, problem with the children of Israel, uh, all through the judges, and then also with King Saul, is Israel perpetually does what seems right in their own eyes. So what's the problem with that? Can everything be right? Is every idea good? Is every opinion valid? Is every action just? Or is there such things as wrong, bad? evil, deception, corruption. Who gets to decide what is right and what is wrong? Well, since God Almighty is the author, creator of all, and he in and of himself is good, just, true, righteous, he is the final authority on what is right and what is wrong, what is good, what is evil. And God gave all these laws to Israel to help them know what is good and what is evil. Do you know all the laws of God? Don't you think you should? Actually, I bet you you do, because Jesus really packaged them up nicely for us, didn't he? Where he says, all the laws can be summarized this way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. That's the first and great commandment. And then the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. Pretty simple. But how do we love God? Does God come over for supper? Do you get to hang out with God and go for a walk along Solomon's, look at the view? How do you love God? Jesus told us, didn't he? He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He who has my commandments and keeps them is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. How you love God is you obey him. How do you love others? Well, Jesus kind of lays that out for us, right? He shows us, care about them, help them, do unto others as you would have done unto you. Don't lie, cheat, steal, kill your neighbor. Don't wrestle your neighbor, right? Be kind and patient, bless, do not curse. That's what God wants us to do. That's really not all that complicated, is it? That's a simple summary. Easier said than done. Doing what seems right in our own eyes is more intuitive. God has a hard time finding people who will actually willingly obey him and do things his way. It's hard for him to find them, but he's always looking, right? You know that from Chronicles, it says the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he might make himself strong, support those whose heart are completely his. He's looking today at our hearts, looking for someone who will obey him. I wonder what he sees here. Well, David is someone in Israel who God says, he will do what I want done. This is a big part of why David is a man after God's own heart. He loves the things that God loves. And not because he feels obligated 
to obey. He actually wants to follow the laws. A big part of why he's a man after God's own heart is he loves the things that God loves. He wrote in Psalms 119, I delight in your commandments. I love them. I lift up my hands to your commandments, which I love. I meditate on your decrees. Now, I was digging into that word delight. The Hebrew word there is sha'ah. It, it, it's an interesting word because it, it has this, carries with it the idea of smoothing over to please, like it pleasurable, uh, so, uh, even like it's used in the context of blinding one's eyes, like almost becoming drunk. So delightful in this intoxicating way seems to imply that David is having a dopamine reaction in his brain from the word of God. He's having some physical chemical response. That's how much pleasure he has, okay? Time to tell the truth. Since I was a child, I have been in so many Bible classes, Bible teaching forums, church services. Never would I describe them as intoxicating, right? Oh, this, this is just so good, man. I can really get addicted to this stuff, right? The older people remember this one. Uh, Sunday nights, the wonderful world of Disney would come on TV. You may remember, say, remember that, right? And when I was little, that was coming on right at the time that we had to go to church for evening service. Now, what I felt like doing was staying home and watching Mickey Mouse. And what I was told to do is get in the car, we're going to church. Often Bible study for me has been more like exercising or conditioning. Right? I know I need to do it. It's good for me. I'll feel better about myself if I engage in it. But is it something I really feel like doing? Does it bring me the pleasure of like pizza and wings watching the Raptors in the playoffs or, you know, binge watching my favorite you know, new TV series or, you know, a night out here in Ricky's band, perform cool tunes while I have some refreshments. And I won't even bring up any other examples of physical stimulation, okay? Delight communicates some deep pleasure. David uses that word to articulate how he feels about Bible study. Now, some topics like, you know, end times prophecies, I find that really intriguing. You know, if I get into a teacher who's really interesting, then I'll binge watch all those, but that's not the norm. No, being perfectly honest, many of the activities that appeal to me are really kind of on the borderline of being violations of God's commandments. I think Paul more accurately articulates my spiritual experience in Romans chapter 7, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I, will, I do not do. The evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me, I find then a law that evil is present in me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who can deliver me from this body of death? I relate to Paul more than David. 
Now, I do totally agree being like David is how I ought to feel. And I suspect it will be how I feel once I make it to heaven and I'm free from this body of death, this sin nature, and I have a glorified body. I'm just not there yet. Now, maybe you do relate to David and you have intense pleasure. You delight in obeying God's word. Good for you. You are a better Christian than I am. But I do have candid conversations with people around here because at Faith Bible Church, we have quite a high level of transparency. So I kind of get the sense many of you are like me. You're trying to walk that narrow road. You want to be sanctified, but it ain't always easy. And sometimes it's more duty than delights. Maybe I do see why Israel is always reverting back to every man doing what seems right in his own eyes. Because we are born with this sin nature that craves, desires, lusts for what we feel like doing. So, but this is why David is so extraordinary, why he's a man after God's own heart, because what David delights is the commands of God, not all-you-can-eat buffet or winning a billion-dollar lottery jackpot or binge-watching reels on social media for half the evening. Another part of why David is called a man after God's own heart is because he has absolute faith in God. And nowhere in Scripture is this point better illustrated than 1 Samuel chapter 17, where a shepherd boy fiercely slew a big warrior giant. And just before that duel, we see this direct evidence of David articulating his faith when uh, he's explaining to Saul, he's basically arguing with Saul, King Saul, why he should go out to fight this giant. And he said, the Lord delivered me from the paw of the lion and he delivered me from the paw of the bear. He will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And King Saul's like, all right, well, the Lord be with you. Good luck, kid. David was fully aware that God was in control of his life and he had faith that he would be delivered out of this impending danger. How else would you venture into a potentially fatal situation with such calm and confidence? David knew early on his life, he knew early on in his life that God is to be trusted and obeyed. As we see in scripture, David's faith, it pleased God and God rewards him. And that's why all these wonderful things God does for him. So at this point in the book of Hebrews, that's what's been going on. That's what the author's been trying to convince us, to live by faith in the Son of God. After all, we too are going to have to face fatal situations. We too will have giants, impossible obstacles that we have to experience. But Jesus calls us to trust him and to step out in faith. Well, David sounds almost perfect. Eh, I mean, there's that whole adultery murder thing. So even if David delights in the laws of God, he still broke them just like the rest of us. But here's the thing. Even in his failures, David never wavers from his faith. He doesn't try to blame God or justify his actions or try to change God's laws. If you know your history, many times kings would... Kill the prophets because they didn't want to hear the truth. Sort of like Herod did with John the Baptist, right? He'd get his head cut off or even, even outside of Bible history. Remember uh, Henry VIII, right? 
He wants to get a divorce and the Catholic Church says, you can't do that. And he says, well, yeah, I'll just make my own church there. Church of England. They say it's okay for me to get divorced. How about that? So here's the thing. People can change churches for all kinds of reasons. I've talked to some folks today. They're like, oh, we're, we live on North Sandgates Road. It's just down the street. It's really close. Okay, that's a reason, you know, programs for kids, you know. The, the, this church has stuff that meets our family needs. It found a church, I want kids choir, and now you guys got kids choir. That'll be fun, right? Maybe the leadership at their old church is doing some really weird things that they don't agree with. You know, they're not sticking with what the Bible says. That happens a lot. There's a lot of that going on. These are things that happen, but if you're leaving because the pastor, the church is telling you exactly what the Bible says, and you don't like it because it doesn't seem right in your own eyes, well, that's a pride issue. So I do this chapter verse method of preaching thoroughly through the Bible so that you will know I'm preaching exactly what God has said. But not everybody wants to hear what God has said. Often what God has said is not what the current culture thinks is good. Often what God has said offends people because it tells them what you're doing is wrong. What you're doing is evil. Some people will rebuttal the Bible and say, that's offensive, that's hate speech. It ought to be illegal to say that. That just happened a couple weeks ago. I don't know if you saw that in the news. This young fellow was standing out in the street in public reading his Bible in Wisconsin, and they came and arrested him because he was reading stuff that the people in the park didn't like hearing. So just like tyrants of old, there's still a strong tendency for people to want to have power and control and use power to outlaw, to ban God's word. So King David has the throne, he has the army, he has all the power, but when the prophet confronted him with sleeping with Bathsheba, uh, he, she was a married woman, and then killing her husband to cover it all up so he could marry her, he comes at him, and instead of fighting with him or using his power to get rid of that prophet, David said, I've sinned against the Lord. But admitting our sin and asking for forgiveness is only part of the equation. The other half is repenting, which means turning away, changing the way, going in a different way. And David did that as well. In Psalms 51, he prays a prayer and he says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me from my iniquities, cleanse me from my sins. We hear him pleading for restoration. Even David got off track. And in doing so, his life took this long, hard route, sort of like my trip back from the Outer Banks. But even in the darkest of times, David knew God was leading him. After all, David wrote one of the most comforting pieces of poetry ever penned pretty well in every Judeo-Christian funeral for the last 2,000 years. This line is recited, and you can say it with me because I bet you a lot of you know it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Claudine, he restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy will 
follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The psalm kind of starts out like my trip to the Outer Banks. You know, a good journey, the Lord's leading, David wants for nothing, we got green pastures, we got still waters, all of our physical needs are being met. But then David interprets his metaphor, it's more than just food and water, he restores my soul. David's soul, like your soul, like my soul, our souls need restorations. Our hearts get broken. Our minds get distorted. Our lives become weary and burdensome. Or as we say nowadays, stressed, anxious, depressed. That's how David felt. That's the dark night of the soul when the journey you thought was going to be a happy four-hour drive full of laughter and sunshine turns into eight hours of exhausting, crying, screaming mess. Some of you, that detour went from happy I do's to I need a divorce lawyer. That detour went from this is a great investment to I'm buried under a mountain of debt and all I do is work. The dream home's a money pit. The dream job monopolizes your life who was supposed to be your soulmate, turns into sleeping with the enemy. The kids look so cute in pictures, but there are hellions when they're supposed to go to sleep at 8 o'clock. And now we're on this road, and there's no turning back, and we just got to keep going, but I feel like I'm not going to make it. I can't survive this life. I'm here to tell you. Yes, you can. Really? How? The Lord restores our souls. And he leads us in a path of righteousness, not a path that seems right in your own eyes, not a broad road of coping mechanisms of addictions that lead to destruction. No, he leads you in a path of righteousness for his name's sake. Question, why is his name's sake at stake in my life? Because if I am his child, if I am his sheep, his name is the Good Shepherd. Remember? David writes, the Lord is my shepherd. And Jesus says, I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd gives his life for his sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he's a hireling. He doesn't care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and am known by them. They are my own. My father knows me even as I know my father and I lay down my life for my sheep. Jesus titles himself, names himself the good shepherd. And as such, he has sworn to provide, protect, restore his sheep, no matter what. Even if the wolves endanger the shepherd, Jesus is prepared to die for his sheep, which is exactly what he did. Died for our sheep. The sin, the guilt that we carry due to the wrong path that we chose to journey down, these roads that are leading to our destruction. But when Jesus died for our sins, he made the way for us to detour off a road leading to hell. He made a way for us to come back to God, a way back to the family of God. And once you have trusted in Jesus, once the Lord is your shepherd, he's traveling with us to protect us, no matter how long or how dark that night may be. 
Some folks here today are in the valley of the shadow of death as we speak. Death is breathing down your neck. Dear friend, I've got a word from the Lord for you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Jesus is right there with you. He's there to lead you through it all the way, all the while providing goodness and mercy all of your days. And when your days are over, and one day they're all over, He will lead you from the valley of the shadow of death to the house of the Lord where He's promised you a home forever. Jesus has a heavenly home promised for us. I mentioned earlier, David had a covenant, a vow that God made with him, the Davidic covenant. Basically, it states that David's son would sit on the throne and rule the kingdom of Israel forever. A future Messiah would come from the line of David, sit on that throne and rule a messianic kingdom. That promise made in the Old Testament, we find out in the New Testament, is fulfilled in Jesus, who is often titled the son of David. Jesus, the good shepherd, promised us the eternal home. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus is who ultimately David was trusting in. So yes, some here today feel very off track. It feels like you are on a long, dark road. Some are even going through the valley of the shadow of death. But friend, if you're trusting in Jesus, he will guide you through. He will lead you home. So the question is, are you trusting in Jesus? Because faith restores your soul. On my trip back home from the Outer Banks, that rest stop nap, Restored my strength enough that I could continue on. My eyes were no longer heavy. My exhaustion left me and we made it home. All that stress and anxiety and depression, all that exhaustion you feel is relieved when you realize Jesus is with you to help you, protect you, and he's leading you home. He's here now. You just got to trust him and he's leading you. Follow him. Put your faith in him. Even now, we can all restore our souls. Let's, every head bowed, every eye closed at this time. I wanted to quote a hymn. The hymn writer said, Oh soul, are you wearied and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Lord, I pray for every life here today. I pray that each and every heart would cry out to you and say, Jesus, help me. Lord, just lead me. This is hard. Life is hard. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I'm sick. Lord, just guide me to that heavenly home. If you just ask him, if you just ask him in faith and trust him, he will be right there beside you. You'll feel that restoration even now. You can have it every day. And every day will be goodness and mercy. And one day when this is all over, you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. King David wrote it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And this is our promise. This is our promise today to claim. Claim it in faith. Believe in Jesus. Lord, we pray that each and every heart here, each and every soul would trust in you. Lord, that we would just find the strength to go through a new week that we'd be restored today. Pray all this in your son's name, in Jesus' name. Amen.